Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. My name is Ken Burke, and on this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Cameron Dobbs. Cameron is a manager of sponsorship content and on-air host for the Miami Hurricanes. She's a journalist, she's a podcast host, and a former Division I volleyball player, need I add, uh, along with so many other things that she's involved in. But Cameron, thanks so much for coming on today. Of course, Ken. I'm so pumped to be here with you guys and just looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, of course. It's going to be really fun. So as we do get into our conversation today, I would love if you just give us some background about you, your spiritual journey, and your athletic journey, of course. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And in that, I was also born and raised in a Christian home. So I was pretty much birthed into the church. I had grandparents that were ministers, heavily involved in the church. My parents were heavily involved in the church. And so for me, that was just kind of what we did and what I knew best. I was raised in the Bible Belt being in Atlanta, Georgia. So church was just, it was what you did. (laughs) And it was what I knew. Um, And I went to a Christian school my entire life as well. So I was very heavily rooted in my faith really since I was a young child and proud of how strong my faith was really from the start. So I grew up following God, knowing that I was a child of God, doing the best I could to be a good Christian human being, you know, and just follow down the right path. And so that was like the the little glimpse of, I guess, how I came to Christ. Of course, throughout my life, I've hit a couple of speed bumps and realized life gets hard as you become older. Life mm. gets hard through college and the struggles that I face as well, which I know we're going to get to this episode. But God is good and he's been there all, all along. So grateful to just have that amazing family support from the beginning to really raise me in the church like that. So that's a little bit of my Christian background. And then in terms of athletic background, similar to my faith, it was pretty much out of the womb. So I was born and raised by two athletes. My mom was an athlete her, her whole life doing pretty much any sport known to man. And then my dad did the same and then pursued college athletics as well. So he played football at Auburn University back in the glory days with Bo Jackson. Like he's got a couple wow. rings. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a stud. <laughs> so he did that. And then I'm the youngest of my family. So I have two older siblings as well. My older sister played volleyball at Auburn and my older brother played football at Vanderbilt. So we were all three collegiate athletes. I, of course, eventually went on to play at the University of Miami on their volleyball team. But growing up, I did every single sport. I loved volleyball as I got older, but I did track. I did baseball. I was the only girl on a baseball team at one point, and I still remember those days. Did softball, gymnastics, soccer, you name it, I probably ended up doing it. And I loved being an athlete. I was always, you know, on field day, I had a field day. I was always taller than all the guys in my class. I'm 6'2 now for reference. So growing up, I was always the tallest in all of my classes. Like I would be faster than the boys, hanging out with them. Like I was that girl that was just the tomboy, but also the girly girl at the same time. And so sports were just my entire life growing up. And that continued as I really got serious about at the age of 12, I really started pursuing a collegiate career, which kind of sounds funny thinking when you're only 12 years old, already thinking that you want to do this for your career. But for me, that was the case. And again, I had two older siblings that had done it or were on the track of doing it. And my dad, of course, did it as well. So we kind of knew the whole story of college athletics, how to get there and what it took to get there as well. And I was willing to do it all. At 12, I started playing club volleyball, more than just school volleyball, and that was travel ball, you know, like AAU basketball, that kind of just 
playing all year round. And then from 13 till 18, I was playing at A5 Volleyball Club in Atlanta, Georgia. To date, it's actually the number one club in the entire nation. So pretty cool place to be to be playing at with great coaches, great athletes, consistently just always brings home championships and is so respected by all athletes throughout the United States and beyond, as well as college coaches. So that was where my recruiting came from, was playing club volleyball, not as much high school volleyball. And through that, I just got a lot of exposure to different schools all across the country. So I was being recruited from the East Coast to the West Coast, North, South, everything in between, and traveling to see all those schools to figure out what would be my perfect fit. And when I was 16, I was at about the place where I was ready to commit to a school. Volleyball recruiting starts really early. A lot of people look at football, and usually football is making a decision in your junior, senior year. But for volleyball players, at least back when I was playing, it was very early. I already had full ride offers by the time I was going into my freshman year of high school. So I was ready by the time I was 16 years old to make my decision and get to where I wanted to be. So doing just that, I remember calling up the coaches that had been really interested in me or just seen me on my court, been in communication. And in doing that, I ended up calling this random school called the University of Miami. And their coaches happened to tell me that they wanted to offer me on that phone call. And I was like, oh, okay. And at this point, we didn't really have much of a relationship with each other. We hadn't really talked much. I knew that they liked me. I had a former teammate or a former athlete from A5, the same club. She was currently playing there. So I knew of the Miami volleyball program vaguely, but compared to everyone else I was talking to, they were just a blip on my radar. So when they told me they wanted to offer me though, I was like, okay, should probably do you the respect, come visit you guys, see the campus, learn more about the program, the coaches and everything, and just the culture. So I did just that, went down to campus when I was, I think 15 years old or so, and immediately fell in love. I mean, the campus at the University of Miami, just looking at it, it's literally a resort. It is so stunning, it's beautiful. It's in Miami, Florida. There are palm trees everywhere. We have a lake on campus. Like, it's just a stunning, stunning campus. And then I went to the comm studios, the communication school. I was able to get in those studios and tour them on that first visit. And I fell in love with that because I wanted to be a broadcast journalist once my volleyball career was over. And then don't even get me started on the coaches. I fell in love with every single coach. And they tell you when you're being recruited, not to do that because coaches can leave so quickly and so often, but at the same time, I knew those people were who I wanted to be around. And even if one of them left, a couple of them left, I knew the culture of Miami was gonna stay similar and that was a culture I wanted to be a part of. So literally when I stepped foot on campus that visit, when I was 15 or 16, I knew I didn't need to look any further. Miami was where I was gonna go. My parents were a little more cautious telling me, hey, let's be a little responsible and wait and keep talking to some other schools before you make your decision. But honestly, from there on out, I did talk to some other schools, but I knew it was Miami all along. Eventually made that official decision later that year and committed to the U and I've never regretted it. It's been one of the best decisions of my life and has truly just made me the human being that I am. So in 2017, I then joined Miami Hurricanes Volleyball. So years after committing, I was finally on campus in Coral Gables and I played with Miami. 2017, 2018, 2019, I actually medically retired and the NCAA medically disqualified me, which I know we'll get into that story. So that was interesting. And then in 2020, since I couldn't play anymore, I was actually offered the amazing opportunity to join staff as a coach. 
So before I was even 21 years old, I was already a college coach and I coached the remaining eligibility my next about full year there with Miami until December of 2021. Wow. That is a heck of a heck of a ride for sure. Uh, there's so much to unpack there, but I want to go all the way back to your parents and your siblings. As you said, you're the youngest, correct? Yes. What kind of pressure did that put on you growing up with all the athletes in your family and all those genes? What did, how did that shape who you are today? It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. To be honest, it's a lot of pressure. And we talk about it in my family too. Like we joke because my sister, she played volleyball at Auburn and then she went on to be a doctor of pharmacy. Before that, she was valedictorian of her high school. She was a stud through everything. And now she's a professor before she's even 30 years old at the University of Tennessee's pharmacy school. So my sister alone is just like got her life together, happily married, like two dogs and a cat, like lives in a great home in Nashville, just killing the game. And so I'm like, nice, like I'm 23 and single, like didn't finish my college career because I got hurt, like this and that and the other. So I'm like, just trying to fill the standard, you know, that we set in the Dobbs household. And then my brother on his end as well. He was a great, I mean, he went to Vanderbilt, which as we all know, is an incredibly amazing school. Not only did he go to Vanderbilt, he played football at Vanderbilt, which is in the SEC, arguably the best conference in football. And then went on to play a year professionally in the Arena League. And then now he's like a movie star in movies and TV shows. Like if you watch, there's a direct TV commercial right now with Dak Prescott and my brother's in it. So if you're watching any Cowboys football, you'll see my brother. (laughs) So (laughs) the standards in the Dobbs household are very high. And my parents set that from the beginning and their parents set that from the beginning. I mean, my parents are very high achievers in both of their careers now and what they do. And it's just passed down through, like you said, through their genes into us. And thankfully though, for the most part, we, we rarely ever disappoint. So it's just, <laughs> they push us really, really hard, but we're willing to do the challenge. So I wanted to kind of shift gears to now your podcast and should I say uh, movement as, as a better term for that. It's called play where your feet are. Your podcast and blog are so great, and I've, I've read them, I've listened to them. Um, what inspired you to start the Play Where Your Feet Are podcast and the movement? Sure. Well, it's funny looking back at it all because it kind of goes back to those club tournaments that I was mentioning. I played for A5, and every time, whether it was club or high school, whatever I was doing, I always had my parents give that parental pep talk before I got out of the car. You know, we talked about them always pushing me and that was part of it. They would always give the parental pep talk before I got out of the car. And my mom would say things like, it's a tryout, you know, be a spark, be the light. Someone's always watching, just different things like that. And my dad, on the other hand, he would always just end it all and be like, and have fun. (laughs) Like he was the reminder, like, yeah, like do it all. But like, don't forget to have fun. Like my dad is just like that. It's funny. Um, But one of the things that my mom would always say, in addition to her other things, were play where your feet are. And to be honest, growing up, that kind of just went in one ear and out the other. And in a lot of those car rides as well, I was so laser focused to just get to my destination, get out of the car, go to my team and work my butt off and, you know, win. Like I was just, that was just me. I wasn't ever really talking to my parents much at tournaments. I was just so in the zone and I didn't want to get in trouble by talking to them. I, you know, I was just 
to me, I was laser focused when it was game time. And so many of those conversations, yes, I heard it, but I didn't really digest it until years later when it really came up. So I had mentioned that when I played volleyball at the University of Miami, I played 2017, 2018, and medically retired in 2019. Now, my career at the U is anything but ordinary. And you probably can get that just by saying what I just said, that I medically retired. But even before then, I came in my freshman year as obviously a freshman. But more than that, I was the only freshman on the team. And that's a rare case in any sport, in volleyball especially. Usually you come in with four or five. This year on the team, they actually have eight freshmen. So the fact that I was the only freshman on the team was crazy. So I come in as the only freshman. I battle all that year back and forth with a junior to be the starting outside hitter. I start some games. I sit the bench some games. I'm thrown in at the third set in some games. Different, you know, it was never predictable the whole season. But I was contributing to wins, and that was arguably one of our best in-program history teams that year, my freshman season. So my freshman year, it was just like this great big high of amazing volleyball experience. Great freshman year, had become best friends with all of my teammates. Like that was, I honestly love that I was the only freshman because it forced me to get to know all the older girls. And to date, we have a group chat and we text every single day in our group chat. There's five of us from that freshman year team. They, you know, two of them were seniors, two of them were juniors. One of them was a sophomore. We're all over the place, but it's the coolest thing ever. And then my sophomore year comes along and I'm confident, I'm ready, I'm expecting to be the starting outside hitter. And then I get beat out by a freshman like week one and a new freshman. So now I'm a sophomore and this new girl comes in that's younger than me and beats me out. Granted, super talented, like she earned her spot on that court. So because of that though, I still wanted to contribute to my team and I was already seen as like a leader and a captain on this team and my coaches won me on the court too. So I actually switched positions to be on the court. So I went from an outside hitter to a defensive specialist, which if you don't know volleyball, that's like, you know, as an outside hitter, you're hitting in the front row and you're passing in the back row. And then now as a DS, I am not hitting at all. So what I just trained 10 years for before this moment, I'm not even doing that at all. I'm just passing and I'm just digging. But I love defense and I love that position. And again, I was back on the court. So for me, I was totally fine with it. Like obviously still training as an outside, but so happy that I could be on the court as a DS. Just when I started getting used to being a DS, two and a half weeks go by, or if even that, and I actually get my first concussion at the University of Miami. I'm running in practice and a girl shanks a ball. So if you don't know what a shank is, it's someone passes it really, really bad and it gets passed up far off the court up to our ceiling. And in our ceiling, there's these rafters. And so it goes up, it hits the ceiling and it ricochets and changes directions. So as I'm sprinting to go get this ball down, little do I know that one of my teammates was doing the same thing. And as this ball changes directions, we turn into each other and my head goes into her collarbone, feels like a car hitting against a brick wall, And that was concussion number one for me. So from there, I was out two and a half weeks. And then those two and a half weeks go by, miserable, terrible, hated every second of it, but I got better. And then two and a half weeks later, I was walking into my head coach's office the first day I was cleared to play. And I told him, Kenno, I've already played two positions. I want to be back on the court and I'm going to do whatever it takes. So if that means I need to switch positions once again, I'm down to do it. My head, go- my head coach just said, okay. And the next day I began training as a middle. 
So within one month of my sophomore year, I come in, expect to start, get beat out by a freshman, change positions, become the starting DS, which I was probably the tallest DS in the entire nation. Usually DSs are like definitely five, seven and below and I'm six two, um, but loved it. And then I got hurt, first concussion, out for two and a half weeks, built my way back, recovered, became the starting middle at the University of Miami and was continuing my career that way. So again, putting it in football terms because I'm just a football girl by trade and I know oftentimes many people know football is that's pretty much like going from a wide receiver to a kicker to a defensive lineman (laughs) in one month at the collegiate level at the University of Miami, like power five school, division one program in one month. That's what my career was my sophomore year at the University of Miami. Again, anything but ordinary. And it doesn't stop from there because I continue that sophomore season, keep playing. We finish that fall, come back in spring. And in April, I actually get concussion number two. So concussion number two comes along when I'm blocking in practice and one of my teammates, as we're coming down together, she elbows me in the head and that was just concussion number two. Thankfully, it actually wasn't as severe as the first one, but I had enough symptoms that just having those symptoms present made my trainers and doctors keep me out of play. Obviously the right decision because having any symptoms, you don't want to risk it going back on the court and getting injured again. So out for another two and a half weeks, nothing new. And I came back though, all was well, like going now into the summer season of just training, being in Miami all summer, taking classes, working out, playing open gym. Like I was, it was fine. I hated to be out, but I was back. I was ready to go and excited for my junior volleyball season at the U. So junior year now comes around. We're less than a year away from that first concussion, have two concussions at this point. And in one of the first tournaments, in one of the first matches, one of the first sets and one of the first points of what was supposed to be my promising junior volleyball season at the University of Miami, I go and make this sick block move. We're playing the University of South Florida. I make this block move, great big block move to go block and stuff their right side hitter. And as good of that move was, my hands were just a little bit wide and the ball actually nailed me in the forehead, hit me in the forehead, bounced off and hit that ceiling, the top of our arena once again. So like hard hit right to my head, point blank. I mean, this is just, my head is over the net. She hits me right off her hit and I land and I never passed out. I was never unconscious. Like it was nothing dramatic like that. Like people always ask me, but I just landed and I knew something was off. I didn't quite feel right. I was a little shaken up to a certain extent. Granted, I just got blasted in the head, but I just, for me, I kind of knew it wasn't the greatest news, but I kept playing that entire match. We still had two, three more sets to go. And I remember though, even during one of those timeouts in that match as I sat on the bench and at that time, our team was kind of riddled with a little bit of an injury bug. And I just remember thinking to myself Mm. like, oh, I'm next. Like I'm the next one on the team to get hurt. And continued playing that match, took my parents to the airport after. We had a big recruiting thing at my coach's house. And I got home about midnight and I started having some headaches. And that was the first like headache I had felt, like I said before, I just kind of felt off. And then the next morning I had headaches on headaches on headaches, every single concussion symptom known to man. And 
preceding the next four months straight, I had pressure in my head, headaches, dizziness, exhaustion, brain fog, memory loss, confusion, sensitivity to light and noise, anxiety and depression for four months straight with a 0% increase at a severe level. And that little blow to my head ended up being a very severe concussion that made me wear sunglasses, earplugs, and headphones everywhere for the next four months. It took me six months to be able to run again. I had to drop out of school. I had to move home. I went through vestibular therapy, cognitive therapy, and psychological therapy just to keep myself sane during all of this. And like I said, I faced anxiety and depression. It was the absolute hardest time of my life. But to finally answer your question that you asked, why play where your feet are, is because after I went through this time, I realized what play where your feet are meant, specifically in my life, but in everyone's lives as well. Play where your feet are means to do your best and be your best no matter what and no matter where. And I always say that playing where your feet are is living a life full of living in any and all circumstances. To play where your feet are means that if you are that starting outside hitter, that starting athlete on the court, you're the captain of, the, of your team, you're obviously going to play where your feet are. You're going to do your best and be your best on that court, on that field, in the pool, whatever it might be, whatever your arena is, you're going to do your best to be that starter and remain as that starter, as that captain, as that leader on the court. But guess what? If you're sitting left bench, not playing whatsoever, you can still play where your feet are. For me, when I was fighting my freshman year, battling to get on that court, I was gonna be the best cheerleader ever. I am loud, I'm obnoxious, and I was gonna do that on the sideline or the court. I was gonna call out the other players, I was gonna talk about the plays they were running, I was gonna cheer on my teammates. Whatever I could do in the position that I was in, I was gonna make an impact because the position you're in doesn't limit your impact and it doesn't limit your purpose. That's what playing where your feet are is all about and that's what big deals do, whether you're a big deal on the court or a big deal on the sideline. And then even further, when I was medically retiring and forced to give up my dreams of playing professionally, of even playing my, the rest of my college career, I realized the same thing. I can still play where my feet are even though I'm not playing at all. Because now on the, as a coach on the sidelines, I can pour into my teammates. I can pour into these players. I can teach them things that I can see now from a different perspective. I can encourage them. I can be a bridge for them because I was their teammate. Now I'm their coach, but now I have a direct line to our coaches. I can talk for them. I can help them with things. I can make an impact wherever my feet are. And looking back to when I was medically retired. Now, I didn't do a great job of it, but same thing, like I had to realize that at the end of the day, my arena that I was playing in was no longer three volleyball courts, an outdoor track and an Olympic weight room. Like my arena while I was severely concussed was those three doctor's offices. It was my vestibular therapy, physical therapy of walking at two miles per hour, which is so incredibly slow for 10 minutes a day on the treadmill if my head and heart rate could stand it. That was, that was the arena I was playing in. And I had to realize that, hey, my best one day might not look the same as my best another day, but if I'm playing where my feet are, that's all that matters. Because if it's my best effort, that's the key. It's not my best record, it's not my best time, it's not my best max, it's not the best weight that I've ever moved. 
it's my best period, my best effort, my best foot forward. If I'm playing where my feet are, doing my best, being my best, no matter what, no matter where, that's all that matters. And so I started realizing out of nowhere, taking this parental pep talk that I heard years before into my own life, realizing the importance it had in my own life, how it was changing my own life, and I knew it could change others too. So I really began speaking on this concept of playing where your feet are. A lot of people started hearing my story of what I had went through and, and you know, I, I really left all this out too, but a lot of the perspective for me, I went from this girl who had everything together. I had it all. I was the it girl. I was the person that if you wanted to do everything right and everything at the same time, like you talked to me. That's how my team would introduce re recruits to me. They were like, oh, if you wanna, if you wanna be involved in every single thing on campus, like lead community service, be the president of a student org, serve in everything, be the captain of the volleyball team, have all A's, be on all the honor societies, like literally thrive in every aspect of your life, talk to Cam. Like that's who Cam is, talk to Cam. And that's who I was. I was killing it in life. So I went from this girl who was absolutely thriving, like a stud in all aspects, to the minute I got that hit, I lost everything in a blink of an eye with one bad block move. And I went from being a stud to a dud. Like I said, I had to drop out of school. I went from this girl who made all A's to being a college dropout in my junior year. I went from being the captain to not even being allowed to walk into the volleyball gym because I couldn't stand the sound of a ball bouncing. I couldn't look at a ball, go back and forth, and I couldn't stand the lights of the gym. I had lost everything. And a part of that season for me too, I had mentioned, I grew up in a Christian home and a Christian church my entire life. I knew I was a child of God, but when you have everything ripped away from you, you really realize Oh shoot, okay, so I'm really just a child of God and I have to be satisfied in that. So through that time as well, I had to realize that my identity is not rooted in my performance on the court, in the classroom, or in the career. My identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and that I am bold about, I am excited about, and I am satisfied in. It's not like, oh, I'm just a child of God. Like, no, I'm a freaking child of God and that's why I'm a big deal. Not because of anything that my resume says, not because of any accolade I've ever had. Like, I'm a big deal because the God of the universe created me, chose me, set me apart, and sent his son to die on the cross for me. That's why I'm a big deal. And I take pride in that. And it all goes full circle back to the beginning because once you know you're a child of God, once you know you're a big deal, you have to act like one. And acting like a big deal is playing where your feet are. It's making an impact, finding purpose wherever your position is, wherever your feet are, and doing your best and being your best, living a life full of living no matter what and no matter where. So if you're listening to this and you're not fired up right now to go <laughs> listen to play where you feed our podcast, you've got something wrong with you. <laughs> that that was great. And yeah, I know so many people that have used injuries for good. And I mean, you've had three concussions, one that was, I mean, almost life threatening and it changed the course of your life essentially. But wow, like that, that story is just, it's so inspiring. And I know like you're using it and you're using that platform to glorify God, which is number one thing that you can do as a Christian, especially as a Christian athlete. But how important is it, though, for people, for athletes to play where their feet are, to be where their feet are, even among everything in the world that's going on? How, how crucial is that for athletes and non-athletes across the world? 
I think it's everything, to be honest. I look at, I think it's Psalms 118.24, and it's, this is the day the Lord has made. I shall be glad and rejoice in it. And life is really hard, really, really hard. And it's not easy. And there are ups and downs. And I face anxiety and I face depression. I face mental health struggles that are a whole different aspect than just being sad. And it's not easy, but knowing the impact you can make every single day with every interaction you have, with every conversation you're in, every time you walk by someone, there's so much power to that. It's so, so important. And I'm saying that as someone who suffered for four months straight walking around with earplugs, sunglasses, hats, and headphones on. Like if anyone smiled at me, if anyone gave me a hug, if anyone brought me ice cream or did any sort of gesture, if anyone simply, I couldn't even really look at my phone during this whole time, but if anyone reached out and just texted me or sent me even better, an audio message that I could actually listen to, if anyone called me on the phone, that meant the world to me. And as dramatic as it might sound, like your smile, your wave, your hello, you asking someone, oh no, how are you really doing? That can save someone's life, period. That can save someone's life. And maybe if you don't wanna take it that far, or maybe it's actually even further, you showing someone joy, happiness, love, attention, they might look at you differently and think, like, why is this person doing this to me? I think I heard they're a Christian. Is that what Christians do? Okay, now I'm curious about Christianity. Oh, I know they go to church. Maybe I want to go to church with them. So maybe it's, it's taking a step further of not only just saving their life as a human being, but saving their soul. Because now you're showing them, hey, this is who Christ is. Christ loves others first, period. And if you can be that to someone, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, if you can play where your feet are and make an impact no matter what, that's the important part right there. I look at Paul. He is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Probably my favorite person in the Bible, actually, besides the obvious answer, Jesus. But after we get Jesus aside, Paul is my favorite person. And it's because he's the perfect example of playing where his feet are. You look at him and he you know, called out others and he encouraged change and he preached and he has this great message. He wrote the majority of the New Testament and speaks on, you know, thinking on things above and knowing that when life gets tough to know that with God by your side, you can do anything through Christ and all this great motivational things that we always talk about being thankful in all circumstances. That's everything Paul said. And spoiler alert, he said that from prison. Like this man wrote all of this sitting in prison his platform was prison. It wasn't 10 million followers on Instagram. It wasn't a viral TikTok. It wasn't an MLB World Series win. It wasn't a Super Bowl championship. Like Paul's platform was prison. And that doesn't exactly scream like scholar athlete of the year. No, this man was in prison. But he knew again that he was a child of God, that he was a big deal and that every role has responsibility. So as a big deal, he had to act like one. And that's where he played where his feet were. And so he chose to push aside his circumstance and make impact nonetheless. In fact, he used his circumstance because you go to, I'm gonna blank on what it is, but it's, I think like Philippians 1 something, 19. And he talks so much though about, there's literally a line, he says, I am in chains for the defense of the gospel. He knew that his chains were his, his testimony and he used that. 
and he continued impacting the world no matter what it meant for his circumstances. If it meant he was going to stay in prison, he didn't care. He was going to keep impacting the world. He was going to keep saving souls. And he's doing that today. We're still using his scriptures that he wrote. We're still using the letters that he wrote to the churches to now reach the church today. And I'm talking about him on the on this podcast thousands of years later because of the impact he made while he was in prison. So to think that maybe I could do that the same way, that's the goal every day, just impacting the world for Christ. And another Bible character that I that I thought of when you were talking about that is Job, because he, I mean, he went through so many things. God said to Satan that you can take everything from him but his life, and I mean, he did. He took everything he had, and still Job played where his feet was, essentially. Like, he didn't submit to all of the things that were going around him, how his friends were saying, you need to just you just need to denounce God because it's not worth it. And he's, he stayed strong and he persevered through that. And he has salvation because of that. Yeah. Amen. And then another one, I mean, you could go down the list, but another one is Esther. And I think yeah. it's Esther 414. It's you were made for such a time as this. And that just fires me up. Like you were made for such a time as this. You were perfectly purposed to be alive right now, to be in the communities that you're in, the seasons that you're in, the teams that you're on, the relationships that you have, all of that is intentional. Like none of this time is to be wasted. It might feel like you're in the waiting, but don't wait. Don't waste today waiting for tomorrow. Don't waste today waiting for tomorrow. Like don't, don't just use today as whatever because you're not quite in the position that you want to be in. Play where your feet are even if you're not, play where your feet are even if your feet aren't where you want them to be, honestly. Like I don't think Paul loved being in prison. I don't think Esther loved being in the position that she was in as queen that wasn't in love with her king and was now had this pressure to save all her people and was kind of lying about who she was and all this stuff but she was made for such a time as that and she used the platform she was given so whether you have two followers or 20 million you are purposed in the position you're in so use that play where your feet are and make that impact because you can it takes intentionality it's so hard are you kidding me it is so hard that's why that's another thing. I have play where your feet are, but I literally preach to myself daily. Like I look at myself in the mirror every time I do a podcast with someone, every time I post something, it's a reminder to myself that I need to play where my feet are. Cause I, I so easily get caught up in looking for the next thing or looking to the next thing or wanting the next goal. Can't wait is at the top of my vocabulary. You know, I'll sit, I look back at my career as an athlete even. And if you just take it day by day, like I would, I would sit in class thinking to what homework I have to do that night. And then I'd be doing my homework thinking, what am I going to eat for dinner? And then doing my dinner thinking, okay, what does practice look like tomorrow? Okay, now I'm in practice the next day thinking about what class I have next. And then I'm in class thinking about, okay, what lunch? And then it just keeps going. Like I, I keep looking forward and it's this endless cycle of looking forward and losing the moment that you're in. And playing where your feet are so much about it, it's more than just making that impact, but it's being present in the moment that you're in. It's not be where your feet are. Because we don't want to just be, we don't want to just sit and be here and enjoy the moment we're in. That's lame. No one wants to do that. We want to play. Like there's purpose in that word play. And it's fun. Goes back to what my dad told me every parental pep talk. Have fun. Like have fun. Be joyful. Every time I see the word joy in the Bible, I always circle it because I love that. This life we're supposed to live an abundant life. Like that's why Jesus came. It literally says Jesus came so that you may have an abundant life. Like play, enjoy, 
have fun, but also play in the aspect of the athlete mind. So perform, get better, get stronger, push yourself, challenge yourself. Don't just be where your feet are. Don't stay where your feet are. Play where your feet are. Everything you're doing is to continue to progress, to forever change, to forever get, yeah, to that next step down the road, but it won't start until you play where your feet are today. Yeah, and once you do that, it opens up so many doors and so much freedom in your life to just be who you are and not not be ashamed of it, not be ashamed of the gospel, not be ashamed of how you play on the court or field. But you mentioned you that you struggle with mental illness and depression, anxiety, and all that stuff while battling your concussions, and so many athletes do nowadays. It's just it's one of the worst problems in sports now and society as a whole. But what encouragement can you give to athletes and non-athletes all over that struggle with these mental illnesses, mental difficulties, or any other uh, depression or anxiety or injuries like that? I would say first and foremost that, one, you're not alone. Mm. That, two, sometimes the toughest I have ever been seen as was when I showed my weakness. I'm still really bad at being vulnerable, to be honest. (laughs) I am not a very vulnerable person whatsoever, but I'm getting a lot better at it. And that's, that's the important part that, you know, whether it's small progress or large progress, it is progress either way. And just know that showing your weaknesses, seeking help, that's toughness right there. That's knowing that I'm not good enough by myself. And I want to get better. And so I'm going to find the help that I need. Therapy is incredible. Forget about anything you might hear that has a stigma around it. It's absolutely amazing. I will say, though, there are other ways as well that you can find. So maybe you try therapy and it's not your thing. That's okay. There are support groups. I loved, I was a part of an injured athlete support group at Miami, and it was the coolest thing ever. It was just a group of injured athletes that we would just talk about what we were going through, and we found that we related to each other so much. In addition to doing the therapy and seeing a sports psychologist in the injured athlete group, I also started attending mental health conferences and just got to hear awesome messages from different at the t- I mean, a lot of the ones I've been in have been college athlete related, like ACC stuff, and so we've had a ton of different current and former athletes speak on mental health, speak on their struggles. Again, telling you that you're not alone, that we all go through the same stuff. It's just finding the people that actually speak up about it. And and just remember too, like looking at it, at it from a Christian's perspective, a lot of times growing up for me, I was so cynical about mental health because I thought like you should just pray and God will heal you. And if that's not it, then find yourself better friends and mm-hmm. get yourself into a church group. Like it's it's a sin problem, right? Like if you're not your faith isn't strong enough if you're struggling with anxiety and depression. And then it happened to me and I had really strong faith. And so I was like, oh, that's actually not true. It's actually a thing. So know that God has gifted these sports psychologists, these therapists, these mental health professionals with the exact same skills that he gifts your coach with, your trainer, your dietitian, your doctor, like any other type of person with a white coat or a whistle in their mouth, God gifts those therapists and mental health counselors with the same things. And so just know that 
just like you prepare for a match, just like you prepare for a workout, just like you prepare for a game, just like you prepare for studies, school, life, whatever it is, just like you get your ankle taped, whether it's preventative or to actually protect yourself, therapy is the exact same thing. Bettering your mental health is the exact same thing. It's just another element to better yourself. And so much of it too can can really tie in directly with sports. I mean, you talk about psychologists that'll help you visualize. That's such a huge thing in sports nowadays too. And just, there are so many aspects to it that it's, we are trying to break the stigma. And if I can say anything too, you can have your life completely together and you can still go to. Because sometimes it just helps having a non-biased person to talk to, to get things out, to be able to open up to and learn about yourself too. So I don't know. I'm a huge advocate for therapy in any way, shape, or form, whatever that means for you, however it fits your schedule and your life best. But it's simply just another resource to better yourself. And if, again, that doesn't show the most toughness that you just want to keep bettering yourself, I don't know what is. Yeah, I went to a sports psychologist last last season as I just graduated from collegiate baseball. But I had her on the podcast too, and she explained that, well, we, we train our bodies all the time as athletes. We train every single muscle that we have to get better on the field. But you don't train the biggest thing that you have, which is your brain and like your emotions and feelings. It's so important because it you can train as much as you want physically, but if you're not there mentally your game is going to show it and you're going to show it and you're going to be depressed and have anxiety and you're going to suffer from all of those things when having the support group, having somebody that you can go and talk to is so beneficial for every single part, every single athlete that plays sports, 100%. But as we start to wrap up today, I did have one kind of big question to, to uh, close this down. What is your why? What, why do you do everything that you do from podcasting to blogging, from on-air hosting to being a manager of sponsorships? Why do you do everything? It's all for the people, to be honest. I am the biggest people person ever. I love people so much. And, you know, I say, I always joke that I talk for a living. And that's very true. I literally talk for a living. Like podcast host, motivational speaker, on-air host, in-game host, manager of sponsorship content, I'm always doing something with my voice most often. But if you take it a step further, I'm talking to people. That's what I do for a living is I talk to people and I engage with people. I interact with people. When I'm in-game hosting, I hosted for Hurricanes Baseball all spring and then I hosted for the Marlins a couple weeks ago. And that whole role of that job is to create a fun atmosphere for people. It's interacting with the fans. It's getting them on their feet, getting them excited, letting them enjoy the moments that they're in. And then as I'm a motivational speaker, I'm connecting with people. Yeah, I love sharing my story. I love getting to share my testimony and say things that I'm really, really passionate about, as you guys can tell. But the best part of every time I go speak at a college or at a group, wherever I am, is the moments after when I then get to actually talk to the athletes, when I then get to connect with the people in the audience, when I get to hear their stories, when I get to hear how mine related to theirs, when I hear the crazy connections we have in both of our stories or how one little thing I said was the exact thing that they needed to hear or maybe it was a word that they were praying on. I love interacting with the people. That's the best part of my job. Every single interview that I do, I did 
my last, um, I have three shows that I run at the University of Miami. One of them's called Game Day Guide, and it's all about the fan experience, basically from morning to the end of the game. And the one I covered this past week was the specifically the fans' in-game experience. So I was going up and down Hard Rock Stadium from the field to the 300 level, sitting in the stands with fans and asking them what their favorite part of game day was. And it was just so fun. Like I got the craziest range of answers. Some people are just wild. Some people are sitting there holding their two-year-old kid saying, oh, I'm doing it all for little Jim Bob here who gets to grow up as a cane. And just, you know, little things like that. And it's hearing other people's stories. Yes, I talk a lot, but I also get to listen a lot too. And interacting with people, putting a smile on their face, that's my favorite part of my job. And that's my favorite part of any single day. If I can bring just a little bit of joy to someone's day, a little bit of joy to someone's life, then my day's made. My my goal is accomplished. I've played where my feet were and I've done my job. Cameron, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. What you are doing for athletes all over, for people all over, especially in the Miami area is so inspiring. Uh, and kudos to you for everything that you're involved in. I know you have to be so busy, but Thank you so much for taking the time today to come on the podcast. Yeah, I can, of course. Again, I'm honored that you asked for me to be on. I had so much fun, such a good convo, and just love connecting with more. So I'm happy to have now be able to dive into your audience too, share my story. And again, I, I love talking to people. So the connection doesn't have to stop here. Ken, with you, but then also to anyone who's listening. I always joke that the doors to my DMs are wide open. So feel free to slide in, ask me further questions, tell me your story, send me a prayer request, like anything and everything. I am an open book. So feel free to connect with me further. I'm I'm so down. For sure. Thank you again, Cameron. For all the listeners out there, please make sure to like and subscribe uh, and share this episode and go check out the Play Where Your Feet Are podcast and blog because it's so, so amazing. Cameron does such a good job with that. If you don't get anything else from this podcast, just remember this. God loves you. He's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.